Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. My name is Goose, and on today's show, I interviewed Charlie Valor. Charlie has been a regular on the show before, hasn't been on the show in a while, is also one of our clients who's had extremely great success in his property portfolio, but now he's also the host of a podcast called Asset Blocks, which we talk about in this show. But the main thesis behind this show, the main activity that we did is Charlie came on the show to ask me questions. We talked about all kinds of things. We talked about you know, how does property strategy need to change over time? What is property strategy? Um, is property investing harder in 2022 than it was in, say, 2017? Is it harder today than it was five years ago? We, caught, we covered all kinds of ground. We even talked about risk adjusted returns, uh, loads of different stuff. So it's a really cool episode. Um, I think we got through two or three key questions, but we went deep enough on them to provide a load of value. So I know you're going to get a lot out of, out of this. And um, we're going to be doing more Q&A episodes on uh, the Investor Lab podcast. So what I would love for you to do, if you want to get your question asked on the show and then answered by me on the show, then you can send an email to til, that's T. I L at dash dot dot com dot au. Send send through your questions there and we will get them on the show and we'll answer them on the show so that you can get the answer to the questions and hear how we think about that. So that should be pretty fun too. Um, well, without any further ado, make sure you like, rate, review, share, and give this to a friend, family member, or loved one. Without any further ado, let's get stuck into it and I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me today is Charlie Valor. Charlie, you haven't been on the show for some time, but you were here as a regular for ages. What's been happening? I've been uh, too busy trying to become a property mogul. Um, <laughs> it turns out there's a lot more time involved than I thought. No, 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 I'm kidding. Uh, business aspirations have been uh, taking up my time a little bit, as well as a lot of awesome things on the property front. So making great gains in that area as well. Yeah, totally. Your property portfolio is going well, but also uh, I'd like I'd love to share with people that you've actually started your own property podcast. Do you want to talk about that for a second? What's all, what's the go there? Well, that actually started on this show. So we did a series a while back on the podcast, um, which was like a business and property one. Mm. And uh, honestly, like I've done easily a thousand podcasts now in my time. Like you know, I'm you know media company do a lot of podcasts. I've never had so many messages of outreach come to me from anything than that series. So a big thank you to the listeners to this show that came out and said, hey, that was they enjoyed the episodes and the content. Um, I just couldn't put it down. I was like, I have to do a podcast on this now. Like it's been eating at me. So I wanted to wait till I got to a certain stage uh, in my portfolio. So I had some runs on the board and felt yep. a bit more, you know, uh, educated and like yeah. Warranted in having an opinion, maybe qualified. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that one um, again. But please don't take financial advice from me ever, anyone. Um, I'll specify that now. But it's like just more sharing what I'm getting up to in the journey. Yep. So I started a podcast called Asset Blocks, and it is uh, basically it's uh, an investing podcast or money podcast for business owners specifically. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, uh, I'll be honest with you, Charlie. I've been flat out, and I haven't had a chance to really dig into the episodes yet. I've sussed them out, and I've looked at the, the episodes that have been released so far, and they look awesome. But if anyone's interested in checking out and uh, checking out the podcast, where should they go? I, let's drop a link into it now, and then let's get into the episode. What do you think? 
Awesome, man. Let's do it. So it's assetblocks.com.au. And I'm sure if anyone searches for asset blocks, uh, it'll come up on YouTube. We're doing video and it's on Apple and Spotify and all the things like that as well. Awesome. Super exciting. I'm really pumped for you. But what, on today's show here on the Investor Lab, though, back 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 to the Investor Lab. Let's back, back to the Investor. <laughs> um, you, we decided that we wanted to do an episode where you were going to start grilling me with a few questions. And we'll flip the script a little bit. And you're going to start digging in and asking me some questions um, to give people clarity insights, all of that kind of stuff. So should we get into that kind of show? Let's do it. I've missed it, Goose. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I've missed it. He's like, I used to get to come on here and like ask you all the things that I was thinking about. <laughs> now I'm like a, a lost little puppy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? We may even be able to squeeze a few more in where you get to come and grill me and, and get, get the juice out. In fact, we're actually going to be doing that a little bit more in general. And this is probably a good opportunity to um, drop this in here as well. So we're actually going to be doing more Q&A episodes. And what I would love is for, if you're listening to this and you've got questions that you want to ask, um, we're going to have different people from our team or different people just generally coming onto the show and asking me questions that you submit. So if you want to submit the questions to TIL, that's TIL at dash dot.com.au. So T, the investor lab, TIL at dash dot.com.au, send in your questions there and we'll get them asked on the show. So Charlie, over to you. What questions have you got for me today? Yeah, I just want to um, really bang in on that as well. One of the things that helped me so much on my property journey is it's not just buying the properties that gets you there, but it's mm. learning how to think about it. So for anyone out there that's got a question, like ask it. Like yeah. hugely encourage you to send it in because it's immensely helped me in understanding how to uh, do what we get up to today, which is very, very cool. But um on that note, Goose, I'm going to come into this first question here. So one of the things I've been thinking about a lot, I'm hoping to get some understanding of, of you, is like I've been doing property uh, investing for quite a while now, mm. and I've noticed that the things we used to do like in the first year are very, very different to the things we do today. Like I can't go buy the deals and types of properties I got uh, a while back there today. So I wanted to ask you the question of like, how does property investing strategies or maybe even tactics change over time? And how specifically, how do investors need to approach, I don't know, some flexibility in their thinking and rather than a rigidness of like, oh, this worked five years ago, I'm going to do this again. I'm only yeah. doing this, couldn't accept anything else. Yeah. It, it, look, you hit the nail on the head. And um, where people go wrong generally in property is that they are too fixated on a specific tactic or, you know, and often they confuse um, tactics with strategy. They'll have a they'll have a tactic which says, or a thesis which says, I don't know, buy blue chip properties within 10 kilometers of the CBD because that's the thing you need to do. Essentially, that's just a tactic, right? You know, like that is that is essentially just one mode of trying to extract returns out of out of an asset. You know, another another tactic could be um, buy, you know, or you know, you could, you could potentially argue it's a strategy as well, but like basically buy buy uh, you know properties that you can subdivide and build a second dwelling on that's a whole that's a whole yeah okay so you do that and it works you just do that forever but the an the answer to the question is really about about flexibility and fluidity because market conditions continuously change which is why on this podcast from day one we have always talked about the idea that principles matter way more 
than tactics. So we've actually had loads of people like, you know, come to us and even companies and organizations that have come to us and said, hey, we've had this thesis where we've been helping people for like whatever the last couple of years um, do X and, you know, in a specific example, you know, they've been helping their clients to to buy properties within, I think it was within 50Ks of the CBD, of a major city CBD um, that you could subdivide and split. But then they're going, we can't do that anymore. And now we don't know what to do for our clients and we're stuck. Can you help? Right. And this is this is why I think it's so important to, to elevate the thinking and to understand what you need. Right. So what you need is going to be based around a couple of different things. Right. It's uh, where you where you where you're at, where you're going, you know, like what is your current state financially, emotionally, spiritually, metaphysically, all of the stuff. Like who are you? What are your resources? Where are you at? What are you trying to achieve? That's the that's the first starting point. And I know that might sound a little too macro, but it is actually super critical, right? Because that's actually going to dictate what you can do next and what the most appropriate thing is. Then you've got to look at, get a little bit more granular and understand what does your portfolio need, right? Because your portfolio needs all kinds of different things in order to be prolific and profitable and prosperous and all of these wonderful things, right? So understanding that allows you to to move with different market conditions because, you know, if we go back to the start of 2021, you know, we were able to pretty much consistently buy, you know, duplexes and triplexes and I don't know. I don't know. This is not a fact, right? But it, I, it feels like we didn't buy anything that was under 7% yield for about three months. You know, it was just I, like. I, and I quote, I believe you were calling them screamers. Was screamers. The screamers. They were just screamers. <laughs> and it was like, it was like, you know, it was like, uh, it was like Oprah. I was like, you get a screamer. You get a screamer. Everyone gets, everyone gets a screamer, you know? And, but then. Conditions change, market conditions change, right? And so, you know, we're lucky enough to deal with loads of different investor clients, right? And some of them are early stage investors who've saved up their first $50,000 and they're just getting started and all that kind of stuff, all the way through to, you know, I say medium to high net worth individuals, business owners who have the capability and the, and the, and the, you know, all of that kind of stuff to better go and buy multiple properties and everything like that. And there are some clients that are in that kind of category where we started out going, Yahoo, let's go buy unit blocks and stuff. And now we're going, okay, look, the market conditions have changed and we could still buy unit blocks, but not sure that they are actually the best things that we could buy right now. So rather than buying six, seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollar uh, properties, let's start actually maybe looking at three hundred, four hundred, two hundred and fifty thousand dollar properties because we can understand the portfolio mix, right? Now the things, the where people get stuck, and cut me off if I'm talking too much because I've got a lot to say on this topic, right? But I just want to jump in on one point yeah. though. It's like if you think about uh, this in different worlds, right? Yeah. It, uh, Who's still using Yellow Pages ads? Was the thing to do at a point in time? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At a point in time, right? But as as the environment changes, you need to change as well, right? You got to layer that with like the person itself. They get older. So you, you kind of got these two worlds that collide that we accept everywhere else, but it's like we're taking a fixed, or many are taking a fixed mindset to this property world. And you can see, well, that just doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. It doesn't at all. So it's very, very interesting in that world, but keep going. Yeah, it's it's super. It is super fascinating, right? Because what is what is far more important to think about and understand is not what type of property, and it is not what uh, price point, 
and it is even it's not even uh what is the like value add strategy it is none of like they are not the most important things to pay attention to what is most important to pay attention to are things like uh what is my projected return on investment uh what what is my available debt to available capital ratio Right? Because if you've got $50,000 of available capital and you've got $5 million worth of available debt, right, then you're, you're, the whole thing that you need is you need to increase your capital, right? So therefore, yields probably don't matter as much to you. Um, therefore, uh, you know, there's all of these other things that we would consider to change the strategy. As your portfolio evolves, so does the strategy. Now, in- interesting anecdote. So we had a... Um, we had a client a couple of years ago that we did a portfolio plan for. Now, at the time, based on we did that, we did the plan right and said, "Hey, his name is Tim." We said, "Hey, Tim, based on where you're right now, he's just starting. He'd actually never bought any properties, but he wanted to get a bit of a plan together." So, Tim, based on where you're right now, the cash you've got, etc., based on the properties that we can see that we can get in the market at the time, you know, there was kind of more opportunities to buy a granny flat uh, properties you could add granny flats to and stuff like that. There's a few different things going on. We said, "Hey, look, this is the best plan based on the current information we've got. Here you go." He reached out to me the other day and said, oh, hey, you know, I, you know I've, I've lost the plan. Can you resend it over? And I said to him, I said, dude, it's, I resent it to him. And I said, but it's, but it's null and void because those properties at that point in time, that strategy probably doesn't apply today. You probably need to revisit it. So does, does that kind of, does that shape um, the, your thinking on it? Do you have any more questions around that before I keep waffling on? I definitely have more questions on that. How frequent do the strategies change, right? And that might be a hard thing to answer, but I want to give uh, anyone listening to this an expectation because you've said like this was two years ago now, potentially three. Mm. Is this meaning that strategy review is something investors need to look at every couple of years, every year? Let's maybe dig into strategy, right? Let's maybe dig into strategy, right? Because with property investing, the strategy isn't the type of property you buy, right? The strategy is what are you trying to achieve out of your portfolio, Right. So if your strategy is to um, build a property portfolio that will replace your income, that's that's the that's the high level objective. That's where we're shooting for. If your strategy is to increase your um, net worth or create the most possible amount of equity, then that is a that is a strategy because that that will lead you down a path which will cause you to choose different specific property types and all of that kind of stuff. If your strategy is to create a family trust legacy, something you want to create generational wealth, um, you're not planning to extract any of the capital or the cash flow out of it. It's all just, you know, multi-generational play. That's a strategy, right? So these are your strategies, right? So depending on the strategy that you choose or what is important to you, that then shapes all of the things that happen within. So if we go, so the strategy probably shouldn't change or it might, look, it might, your life circumstances may change, but probably the strategy is not going to change. It shouldn't change every year. You might want to review it every couple of years or something like that to be like, particularly if you're investing with a partner or whatever, just like, hey, are we on the same page? Are we still going in the same direction? Is there anything we want to change about this? Maybe something's changed in your life. Maybe something's changed in your work. Maybe you've had kids and you want to rethink. And, you know, when you started property investing, it was just, just the two of you. And you were like, yeah, let's go as fast as possible and replace our income and sail off into the sunset. But now you've got kids and it's like, well, do we want to do that? Or do we want to do it? That's, the, that's strategy. That's strategy right up there. And that should probably be done every few years. Like I'd probably, if you want to bookmark it and grab a number, I'd probably say like every five years. Like it's not something that you should be chopping and changing because 
property markets, like property investing is inherently slow compared to investing in other asset classes because of transaction speeds and all these other things, right? So then the question of what to do to get there, right? These are the kind of like, you know, I get, we can call them sub-strategies, we can call them tactics, we can call them building blocks, we can call them all kinds of different things. That is something that changes, oh, look, I think, I think a, a, an intelligent and an astute investor should be open to being malleable, like almost on a quarterly basis, right? Because there are 15,264 different suburbs and towns in Australia, right? The markets are a living, breathing, dynamic environment. And the goal for any investor should be to move to to make decisions that are going to move them towards their strategic objective in, in on the timeline and with the risk profile that they have already predetermined is, is appropriate. And so in order to do that, you need to be malleable to market conditions and they change frequently. Yeah, it's such an interesting topic. It really is. I've been very challenged by this. Um, and mm. thank you for explaining that. So be malleable in the tactics, I think is the big takeaway here. S- super malleable because, you know, and and it also goes back to uh, it's so critical to understand the key objective, right? If your if your if your goal is to be debt free in forty years with four properties or something, right? That that just, you'll have a very because you want to you know you want the nest egg, but you just want to pass it on. You don't want to do anything with it. That's a really like that'll shape exactly a completely different strategy. If your goal is to move faster or whatever, but understanding how different assets will add to or detract from your ability to achieve that outcome is the critical piece. So, you know, you can you can make really good strides in your portfolio buying, you might buy, I don't know, two properties at like $600,000. Yeah, cool, Yahoo. Then market conditions change and you might buy two properties at like $300,000. And uh, and then market conditions might change again. You might buy two properties at, you might buy one property at $450,000 and then find another one for $700,000. But the, but the characteristics of those properties, i.e. how much yield do they produce? Um, what is the owner-occupier appeal? Or what are the economic drivers in the area? Or all of these kind of things are going to make a bigger, bigger difference. Because if you, for example, if you've got loads of capital and your singular goal is cash flow and you are absolutely not in any way, shape, you know, prioritizing capital growth, then that's going to cause you to make different decisions which will prioritize cash flow above all else. And there's balanced approaches and there's all these other kind of things to consider as well. So, so that's what we get into individual circumstance though, Ryan, and age yeah. and like plans and all the rest of it. Side note, I still want to go caravanning around Australia and I imagine you still want it, your sailboat at some point. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. And, you can, and you can do all of that too, right? And that's, that's like... That's the that's the whole point is understanding what that is for you and just you know side note one of our one of our team members Tim who's been on the podcast he was tra- like he was traveling around Australia in a, in his caravan when I first met him digitally and then he went and bought I don't know three properties or something like that whilst he was caravanning around Australia and oh. also and also working with Asha helping other people to realize their dreams as well like so you can you can have your cake and eat it too right so. All right, well, I'm going to jump into the next question, which kind of ties into this one, I think, uh, hugely so. I've been asking this as I've actually, uh, some people have been reaching out to me who are just starting today and they've asked this question. I don't have a good answer. I'm hoping you have a really good one. Is being a property investor harder today for someone starting today than what it was five years ago? 
Yeah, so five years is a really interesting timeline to think about it on. Because um, five years ago is when uh, the Royal Commission and all of that kind of stuff, like lending conditions started to change. It was a bit of a clampdown. So if you said, um, is it harder today than seven years ago? Then I'd say, I would say, Yes, <laughs> I'd say yes, because, you know, because not that long ago, you know, within the last decade, the lending conditions were completely different and the serviceability, the way they calculated serviceability was completely different. And a lot of these people that have got 20, 30 properties, they did it before the banking reg- regulation changes because serviceability requirements were different. And so it was much easier to get access to credit and to use properties to fund other properties. It was much easier, huge, much more liquidity, and you could just go a lot faster. A lot of people read, read a book, you know, um, zero to 130 properties in whatever it was, two and a half years or whatever, whatever it was, Stephen McKnight. That kind of thing was possible because lending conditions were different. Right. There's also an argument about relative affordability um, that property prices have gone up more than um, more than incomes have, and and all of that kind of stuff. And if you want to take it on that kind of macro, you could arguably say that today it is more difficult than five years ago because property prices have grown faster than wage wage growth. Right. So you could argue that it is more difficult in that sense. However. I would also say say that today, right now, the lending conditions are more advantageous than they were five years ago, specifically, um, because five years ago, I was like, well, the brakes really got slammed on. And if you look at most... If you look at most uh, like major cities and all of that kind of stuff, that kind of 2017 through to 2019 period was a period of massive decline. If you look at you know North Sydney, for example, that dropped 25 percent in a, in the span of like two and a half years, um, purely purely because of an access to credit issues. So and that made it more difficult. So we're talking about difficulty. The other thing to consider though is that there is always like in. In a certain sense, it is not actually harder. You just need to think differently. So market conditions continuously change. And if you, if, and again, if we go back like seven years, not specifically five years, but if you go back like seven years, the markets that were booming the hardest were the, the two major capitals, so Melbourne and Sydney. They were the kind of the major growth centers. Median property prices in those cities were really high. And look, yes, and and back then. Back then, the thesis was you could buy for growth, i.e. buy in Sydney or Melbourne, or you could buy for cash flow, i.e. buy somewhere that has no growth or whatever and just buy, buy a high-yielding property. Now, none of those two, neither of those two things are absolutely – that whole thesis is not absolutely true, right? But that was the, that was the prevailing uh, wisdom back then. However, I would, I would also still argue that with 15,264 suburbs in Australia, you can still find affordable properties. I mean, we do it all the time. You know, like I put an offer in on a property the other day that was $160,000, right? I had someone say to, me that, say to me, I was telling them a story yesterday, they were like, what? Does that properties even exist? And it was a house, not an apartment. It was a house, right? And, you know, a house, but full standalone house or 160 grand. So you can still do it if you know how to do it. And if you understand why that might or might not be a good investment for your specific uh, portfolio, right? And this whole affordability thing is relative because if you can get the, I think one of the biggest issues that particularly like Gen Z and to a probably a, a lesser extent millennials, but to a still to a significant extent, they the belief system is that property is not for me. I've been priced out. It's not a, not attainable. It's something that people used to be able to do, or it's only something that rich people could do. Uh, what that the problem that that causes is that causes a huge amount of um, lack of participation. Right. So the wealth gap is widening. 
That is a fact. It is not a it's not a belief, right? The, the wealthier, the top one percent is getting richer than the bottom fifty percent continuously. That gap is widening, right? Um, and there are a lot of reasons for that, and I'm not going to get into the whole kind of that whole kind of broader economic debate. But a big part of that is a lack of participation, right? And I actually spoke to I actually spoke to Gabby's um, Gabby's brother. Actually, I spoke to him over Christmas, and I was I was you know doing a bit of a survey, like how do you think about this? And you know he's invested a little bit in cryptos, a little bit in shares and stuff like that. I said, what? Why is it? Why is it um, that you're like? you know, your friends and stuff are not interested in property. He's like, well, because properties cost a million bucks. We're never going to be able to afford one. We're never going to be able to, we can't, we can't do that. Properties cost a million dollars. So if you could break down that belief, then you can actually, you can actually, which is, you know, not true. Like in certain areas, yes, the median price is a million bucks, but in a lot of areas it's not, you know, we're buying and we're still buying $300,000 properties that are, you know, awesome growth and everything like that. So it's about breaking through that belief and actually going, well, the entry price is still available today. And also you can get superior gains. So it's not just about buying cheaper properties and going, can we do it? Because you can't, just because you can doesn't mean you should, but it's like, can you do it and also still get the returns? And the answer is yes. Okay. I want to throw some more things into the ring because I'm very, very curious around this question more. Um, That participation one. I have several friends in the business owner community that would align to properties too expensive. I'm not going to do it. I think there's a big thing if you live, especially in Melbourne or Sydney, where you see the prices of everything around you, you just assume that's all of Australia. So I could see how that belief could come up. And it probably isn't a good idea if they're not in the position to spend a million dollars on a property. It probably isn't. But I, I wonder this counter, like for me to get into property, what made it so easy was podcasts, like an education, like the access to information has been so differently tuned because I look at this and go, okay, well, yes, maybe properties were cheaper to income back then, but getting educated to make less mistakes is probably easier than ever. So there's like a whole uh, counter argument to it's easier to buy property. There's more people doing it. There's more information like buyers agencies. I don't think were even really a thing seven years ago. So the mortgage broking wasn't as big a thing or maybe it was, but it's like there's all these industries that have developed around it. Um, here's the thing though. I really want to get to this. Let's say it is 20% harder today. Like let's say it is. Is it still a journey worth pursuing? Like, does it really matter that it's a little bit harder if it gets you to the destination? Well, so as you know, Charlie, I'm fairly numbers focused, right? And so what you need to ask yourself is like, it. so let's zoom out a little bit, right? Most people want to achieve a fairly similar thing, um, particularly people, you know, particularly <laughs> I just had to laugh because it's like you you said this on the podcast the other week. It's like everyone wants a hundred grand passive income. And I just laugh because that's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, everyone wants the same. Look, everyone everyone has the same thesis. It could be slightly different numbers and it could be slightly different timelines, right? But what everyone wants is they want to be able to live life on their own terms, make have choice, do all of that kind of stuff. It's not necessarily about sitting on the couch and doing nothing and drifting off into the sunset or whatever. But it's the ability to have that choice, right? To be the ability to do what they want when they want with who they want. Could be quitting their full-time job and consulting while they travel around the world or whatever. It could be any of those kind of things, right? Now, 
most people, or certainly the people that are listening to this podcast, or certainly the people that are questioning, is property investing for me, or should I potentially choose a different path or whatever, intrinsically understand that in order to achieve that desired outcome, they must find a way to elevate their current position to allow them to achieve that future state. So they must do something like investing, right? So that they can get their money to work for them rather than them working for their money. Okay. So we've established that basic platform. From there, then the question is, well, what do I do? And if you think that um, property investing is out of reach or is unattainable uh, or that it's not for you, then the thesis would then go to, well, I guess I'll invest in shares or crypto or something like that. And I would argue that the people who are doing that probably still don't even know what they're doing in those categories as well. That's just that it's cheaper and it's easier to get in. And I don't know. And I actually asked, I actually asked a Gen Z about this. I said, why crypto? And he's like, I said, do you understand what you're doing? He said, no, I got no idea what I'm doing. But I know that if I get lucky, I could like, you know, make a thousand percent return in a day. I'm like, yeah, well, you could probably do that if you get lucky in the lotto as well, right? So so the 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 question then comes to risk and return. And this is a really and this is a really important part because if even if you said shares, let's stick with shares because um it's a lot easier comparison for people. Let's say shares, let's just Let's just argue for a moment that shares go up by 10% a year every year. That's pretty good. It's actually a little higher than where they normally, what they normally do. But let's say shares go up by 10% a year every year, right? Properties might not, you know, if we look on aggregate on average, don't necessarily achieve that same top line growth. Like the, on, the aggregate on average is actually a little less than shares. But with the benefit of leverage, the total return is much, much greater, right? So if you put $100,000 into shares, Right, and it grows by ten percent. You've made ten thousand dollars. Right, if you put a hundred thousand dollars into property, and let's say you're buying a five hundred thousand dollar property on eighty percent LVR, and forget about the purchasing costs and stuff, just for the point of the exercise, and that grows by, you know, ten percent. Let's just call it even. Stevens grows by ten percent as well. You've made fifty thousand dollars. Right. So on the one hand, you've made a ten percent return on your invested capital. On the on the other hand, you've made a fifty percent return on your on your invested capital. So the question then becomes, is it worth it, right? And if it, and if it is going to help you to move you towards your goals faster, but also be less volatile and less risky and safer and all of that kind of stuff, then I would argue, yes, it makes a lot more sense. I don't actually love property. I don't I, like. I, I'm not one of those like property filiacs who's just like, oh yeah, houses, yeah, love, love houses. It's a, it's a, it's a better, it's a better tool to get you what you want out of life. Like the goal should be, how do we live more fulfilling, more enriched, more satisfying, uh, more impactful existences on ourselves, on the world around us, and all of this kind of stuff. Like that should be, I think, the goal. And for most people, it broadly is is the goal. So, so then, if you need to ask yourself, like, what is the vehicle that is going to get me there? I am yet to see, particularly with the application of leverage, which is how almost everyone invests in property. With the application of leverage, I am yet to see a better a better asset class on a risk uh, risk adjusted return basis. Yes, you can buy cryptos or whatever and stuff like that, and maybe get a th- you can also buy small cap stocks uh, or shares and stuff. You can buy you can buy small cap lithium miner or something like that, and maybe get a seven hundred percent return in a year. You can do all of that kind of stuff too, but that's pure speculative. Like that's purely speculative and. You've also then got to look at your risk-adjusted return. Okay, what is the actual risk rating on that versus what is the potential return? And 
do I understand that enough to be able to make an educated decision? So I would argue that even if it is 20, 30, 50% harder to get into property, that the vehicle makes way more sense over time. Oh, it's so interesting when you layer that on top of it, Goose, it is. And I'll throw in some maths. I actually, uh, credit to Stuart Weems for going through this. He took the share market and the property market. I think he said property on average returned about at the time when he did this podcast, uh, 6% was the average. Might be a little bit higher now with obviously COVID gains. Um, and he said the share market was 9% average in Australia. Mm. He did the maths on a million dollars compounded. Yep. And he said, what type of return would you have to get in the share market if you know, you're no leverage in the share market and you're investing in uh, the index versus the broad property market? You would have to get a 32% return on shares on your money to match property. And when he said that, that hit me like a ton of bricks. That absolutely hit me. And I realize you can use leverage in all the rest of them. But it really does uh, just express how powerful the leverage component is if you wanted to match it. Yeah, you, and you touched on a point there. You can use leverage with shares, but this is where it comes back to a risk-adjusted return, right? And so risk-adjusted return literally means you need to take your total returns or your total perceived potential returns and you need to divide them by the, divide them by the risk. Right? And, when you, and, when, and that really changes things. That really changes things, right? Because, yeah, I, like I know loads of people who – got loads of leverage on loads of shares and stuff like that and made a huge amount of gains and then they went down and then there was a margin call and then they pretty much lost everything and lost their business. You know, like I've seen a lot of cases where that has gone super bad because of the volatility and because of the risk. And that's also why banks don't lend as much, that they won't provide as much leverage. So even with leverage, you're still likely to not see the same level of gains plus you're exposing yourself to much more risk. And like there's a time and a place for risk, I think, but, but as part of like a portfolio composition, there is, there is, there, there should all, there in fact, in order to get optimal returns, you in fact should have some high risk, high reward type assets in your portfolio, but they need to have a specific balancing against other um, lower risk, lower return assets and stuff like that. This is this is the whole the thesis behind modern portfolio theory and, and optimal portfolio composition and all of this kind of stuff. So there's a time and a place for it, but I wouldn't put all my eggs in that basket. So. Wait, are you saying I shouldn't feel guilty for that little bit of crypto got hidden away? You know? No, 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 go for it. I've got some shares in some lithium miners. God, they've been going off. You know, it's great. And there's a time and a place for that. But there's like, I've got a couple of grand sitting over there doing that kind of thing where it is kind of more speculative and it's like, okay, cool. Okay, fair enough. And I could lose it versus, you know, a property portfolio, which is for me, the long-term, you know, is a long-term wealth vehicle and, and is, is going to, you know, set us up for where we want to be later in life as well. I'll tell you what, I've been very challenged by this concept as well, Goose, is um, I realized that I need to make investing more boring for me. Like yeah. I'm so used to being, uh, I don't want to say adrenaline junkie in business, but it's like, as I'm sure you can relate, yeah. it's like every day is exciting and new and something or a challenge or whatever it is in business, um, or even many people in their career, I won't limit this to business. Mm. But in investing, it seems a lot of those characteristics I seem to be trying to take over. Yeah. Like, go, oh, go, it's awesome. Let's do this thing. Crypto this, new property that. Want to buy a unit block tomorrow? Can we subdivide this? And I'm like- it seems like that is a counterintuitive behavior to being a successful investor. 
It's also a counterintuitive behavior to being a successful uh, um, business owner as well, because more businesses get broken by people starting fires that don't exist or business owners starting fires <laughs> that don't exist. Then just because, like, a lot of the time, a business owner will start a business and it's like the world's on fire. They're trying to start a business. It's do or die. You know, the adrenaline's pumping and they might go through the first year or two of their business where it's like, you know, they're hanging on for, 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 for life, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then it gets to a certain point and they've built a team and things are kind of moving and it's like, and they basically, if there's not enough, if there's nothing broken or if there's nothing exciting, they'll go around and start breaking things or poking at things or coming up with new wacky ideas or, you know, and can actually steer the business in completely the wrong direction and can totally break businesses as well. And I've had to consciously, I have had to consciously check myself on that because I'm like, oh, we can do this. Wait, hang on a second. Am I starting fires? Am I just... Am I trying to start a fire just for the probably. sake of, yeah, yeah. So prob- <laughs> the, answer's prob- the answer's probably a lot of the time, right? Sometimes it's a good idea, but a-, a lot of the times I need to check myself before it even gets out of my own mouth. Now, in the same thing goes with, with property because yeah, a lot of people, um, they want to be active investors uh, in property. And it's like, you can do it. You can be an active investor. You can be a developer and stuff and you can make, you can make money and stuff like that. But the, the, best, the best way to get through, I think, my personal viewpoint is you should find the easiest way to make the get the greatest returns. Like with the easiest way to make the greatest returns with whilst uh, whilst hedging your risk, right? and that's not being active. Now, if if you have built a portfolio, if you have already built a foundation, right? If you have already got a few properties, or you know you've achieved a certain financial platform, right? If you have gotten, let's say you've got three or four properties, right? And you've achieved a bit of a platform and you're like, okay, cool, I'm here. And pretty much if I did nothing else, right, and just sat on those and I fast forward 30 years, am I, I'll probably be pretty sweet, right? That's kind of like, you've kind of like hit save, right? That's, it's like, cool, you got there. That's a platform now that you can stand on top of and go, all right, what am I going to do next? Am I going to do, and I've actually had, I actually had this uh, conversation with a client. I've had a similar conversation with you, Charlie, as well, but I've had a conversation with a, with a client who we helped them to achieve their uh, financial goals in 18 months. Um, and then he, and in a, you know, in a, like four properties or something like that. And then he said to me, so what do I do now? Like, what's what's the go? Like, what do I do? And this kind of lends into the strategy conversation, which is where we started. He said, what do I do now? I said, well, said, Daniel, I said, well, Daniel, you can do the same thing or you can kind of like do, like follow the same, like good balance of cash flow and growth and, you know, relatively low to medium risk or probably call it medium risk and all of that kind of stuff. And it's kind of like stable. So we could just keep doing that. Like you've already hit your goals and, Imagine if we did a few more years of that. How would that feel? He's like, oh, that'd be awesome. I said, right. But he's also an entrepreneur. I said, but also, I know you're an entrepreneur. So do you want to actually, do you have a desire that you also want to have a certain portion of your portfolio, which is a little bit more, like a bit of term exciting? I said, because there's stuff we could do there too. Like we could, we could go and like find these kind of, uh, you know, environments that you might buy in hold for three years and then sell out of and it does become more active and there's more movement and you know like and we could do all of that like i can find half a dozen places today where you could buy a property for under two hundred thousand dollars it's going to triple in value over the next three years but you just got to know when to get out which we've got the technology to do that so we can do it but you've also got to be ready for that adrenaline and see it's about understanding all of that kind of stuff and how that fits in with your portfolio I don't know if I've got the stomach for a goose, that type of stuff. I've really thought about it. <laughs> it's really interesting, right? Because if you if I said if I said to you, Charlie, hey, Charlie, would you like to buy if I could tell you with a fairly high degree of certainty that you're gonna buy a property and it'll triple in value over the next 
you know, three years and with a fairly high degree of certainty, we can make sure we sell it before the market corrects. Um, like, would you, would, you, would you be into that thesis or not? I've got a pretty high degree of trust with you, Goose. Like that is the thing that lowers my risk here where I don't. I feel in safer hands being we have bought so many properties to get to this point. But even then, I'm very challenged by that, I must admit, because um, winning recipe, I look over here and say, I'm looking at it, I'm going, why wouldn't I just keep doing what's worked so well for me, noting that I might have to buy a different value or a different tactic yeah, yeah. in that Var- variations on the same theme yeah 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 i've i've won at life why take any risk like it's, it's, a, it's like- a great it's a great question and that is a good question to ask because you don't have to take risk <laughs> like you don't have to take risk to get to where you want to go you don't have to take bets on crypto and you don't have to you know invest in you know let's be at higher risk and higher volatility higher reward markets like you don't have to so it's a great question to ask charlie Completely. And I just want to, uh, I realize I may have spoken out a term there about one at life. I mean, more that I've set up my finances in a way. There's still other areas of life I uh, <laughs> want to win at as well. But, but this is the thing that I think becomes interesting at this point in the journey is that you get to a stage where it's like, mm. well, I, in my case personally, is like, I could just pay them off. Like, yeah. I could just earn some money, pay down my properties, and uh, my finances are in a very good shape of that. I could take on some risk and do some exciting stuff and that may fulfill me. I must admit there's something in me that wants to build a house at some point. Yeah. Like I, I look at that and go, I don't know why. It's just there. I did, there's, something, there's, there's, something, there's something in me that wants to buy like a stupidly expensive home in North Bondi, you know, like doesn't make, make necessarily good financial sense, but I'm like, oh, I'd love to do that, you know. It doesn't all, emotions are real. You know, emotions are real. But I think understanding, understanding, and like this goes back to the ROI piece that I was talking about earlier and how do you make, how do you make, how to make sure you're making the right decision. So there's risk and there's all of these other things you need to consider. But, you know, for example, in the property that I was talking about um, where uh, I was going to buy, we put an offer on a property for 160 grand. It, the, the, the thesis was that even if it didn't grow, even if we were wrong, that it was still going to return a 10% cash on cash return for life. Right, on a principal and interest, on a principal and interest payment, right? So it's going to get, you know, keep it over time. So you've got to make those those assessments as well. But Charlie, we did about out of time, I think, for today's episode. We are. You uh, have graciously asked my questions. We got through two out of the <laughs> <laughs> So we need some more episodes, Goose. Awesome, awesome. Well, let's let's do it again. And um, just in case people want to check out uh, asset blocks, do you want to just tell us what the what the URL is again? So people can go there. We'll drop it in the show notes as well. Yeah, huge appreciation. Assetblocks.com.au. And again, we'll put some links up and you can find us on all the platforms as well. Awesome. Charlie, thanks so much. I've really enjoyed this. I love being interrogated about these questions. That really allows me to, to, to run off at the Gov and that's always fun. So uh, appreciate it. Appreciate your time and, and thanks for the questions.